It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, March 18th, 2009. Broadcasting deep within our pirate cave. Somewhere in the heartland of America. <laughs> Nowhere near uh, a ocean. You know what, though? Uh, Lake Michigan's not that far away. I mean, is that big enough to be considered like a, you know, a sea or something? I mean, it's big. It's wet. Can you surf on Lake Michigan? Uh, all right, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment designed to help you learn how to think biblically and how to think critically. Got an email today. Somebody described what I do as in-your-face Lutheranism. I thought that was a kind of funny way of putting it. But I guess that's what we do here. It's it's all about comparing what people are saying to the word of God. Why? Well, because Jesus warns us that in the last days to not let anyone deceive you. In fact, that's what one of our texts that we'll be looking at today is Mark chapter 13. And that means that uh, one of the things that we do as Christians is that when people make biblical claims or spiritual claims or say that God said such and such or so and so or to do this or that, uh, the first thing we do is don't go, we, don't, we, we just go, okay, well, you said God told you to do that, so we'll do that. No, what we do is we get into God's word and we say, well, let's, well, let's test what you've said against God's word. Is it true? Is it false? Are you correctly handling God's word or are you uh, mangling it to your own destruction and the destruction of your listeners? And so what we encourage people to do is compare test what people say to the word of God. And we help you along with that little endeavor. And along the way, we teach you how to engage in good biblical hermeneutics, exegesis, uh, defense of the Christian faith, apologetics. We do theology here. And uh, as a result of it, this program could cause you to become dissatisfied with your church, especially if um, your church has decided to go light on God's word and decided that feeding God's sheep is really not the thing the church is supposed to be doing. But instead, you know, what we really want to do is be popular. We want big numbers at our church at all costs. And so we're going to be relevant. Yeah. The problem is, is that they sacrifice the message when they do that. No matter how many times they claim they don't, they always seem to do that. All right. We've got a good program lined up for you today. We've got, uh, we've got one bit of listener email we'll be looking at. We've got some news stories today. Um, check this out. Headline reads, uh, some Christians are denouncing carbon for Lent. Oh boy. We're going to be reading a, uh, a, a new story where I have no idea what any of this means. It's from the Christian post. It says missional movement. Uh, is it the next back, uh, the next big thing? And, oh, here's some good news for us. Todd Bentley has begun the restoration process. So it's just a matter of time before the circus is known as the Florida outpouring occurs somewhere again here yay and then uh, we're going to be reading a piece from the ooze yeah what a great name for a website the ooze yeah if something's oozing you might want to get antibiotics it'll clear that right up and uh, apparently they've got a great no it's not great but a story on how you can directly experience god did you know that you can do that so we'll be looking at uh 
<laughs> we'll be looking at that today. And uh, we'll also be uh, continuing our march through the book of uh, Mark. We'll be looking at Mark chapter 13 today. And uh, so we've got a good program. And then we'll be doing a sermon review. Um, this is This will be in the bad sermon category. We'll be reviewing a sermon from Carrie Shook on... Uh, well, I should be excited about this because when I reviewed the sermon earlier today, they, they had um, Carrie Shook had an entire pirate ship on his stage at his um, church. And it's all about recovering lost treasure. Yeah, it's all about. So, I mean, as, as the CEO, Captain Admiral of uh, Commandant of Pirate Christian Radio, I, you would think that I would be really excited about somebody putting a pirate ship on the stage at church. No, I'm not. And uh, in the, anyway, it, it's all about recovering lost treasure. So we'll be reviewing that today. So we've got a good program. Stay tuned. Stay with us. It'll be all kinds of fun. And with that, we're going to dive right into listener email. This is from Irene, although I don't know where Irene is from. I, it's just Irene. And she says, Dear Mr. Frozenberger Wannabe. <laughs> Apparently, I'm not quite frozen yet. And, and this is true. I mean, the weather here in Indiana has been fantastic for the past couple of days, and which which is kind of weird. Um, when we lived in Southern California, we lived we used to live in a coastal town in Southern California, you know, near the beach, perfect weather every day. And um, we didn't live too far from the San Onofre, San Onofre nuclear power plant. And so from time to time, we would have nuclear power plant meltdown drills, and they would fire off the sirens there in San Clemente. Well, here in Indiana, I haven't seen any nuclear power plants, and uh, apparently earthquakes are not the big thing because a lot of the houses uh, are made out of brick. Um... The thing that we're having today are tests. They're testing the uh, sirens for tornadoes. <laughs> oh, man. Um, what have I gotten myself into? I've been talking with my neighbors about the tornado potential here in uh, in the central part of Indiana. And they basically have told me, oh, you got nothing to worry about. It's South Indiana that really gets socked hard every year. But we do get the occasional tornado. And then they told me the story about how last year they had this really nasty storm blow through. And everybody uh, ended up spending the night in their basements. And those of us who don't have basements, uh, like myself, are going, uh, well, <laughs> what if we have a storm like that? Uh, <clears throat> where do I go? They thought, oh, don't worry, we'll let you spend the night in our basement. I'm <laughs> thinking, great, that's just... Great. Can't wait. And they said, you know, you have like a month, month and a half before the really bad storm starts. So don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm looking at my watch going, that's like next week. Anyway, um, so here in <clears throat> Indiana, I'm not frozen anymore. Instead, I'm feeling trepidation regarding the potential for tornadoes. We don't get a lot of those in Southern California. So, um, of course, in a very sick and twisted way, my wife is really excited about um, <clears throat> the potential for that type of weather. She's always wanted to see a tornado. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, I hope you never get to see a tornado. Because if you see one, then I'm going to see one. And that means it's going to be in our neighborhood. And and you don't want to be around these things. They're, they're generally not nice to, you know, <clears throat> houses and stuff like that. But the good news is we don't live near a trailer park. And from what I understand, in the Midwest... Tornadoes actually don't hit neighborhoods. They just hit trailer parks. So, um, you know, we're we're not anywhere near one of those. So, <clears throat> anyway, back to uh, Irene's email. Dear Mr. Frozenberger, um, 
I can't believe my ears. How old are these sex pastors? Now, what is she commenting on? She's commenting on the uh, song that we played yesterday from Granger Community Church called Business Time. And the song was all about, well, Business Time was, you know, the uh, uh, sex time. Because the, the Granger Community Church, being the uber-relevant church that they are, is doing an entire series on uh, called Sex for Sale, and they've issued their own 30-day sex challenge, and th- which is part of their sex series. They, they're playing relevant music, um, including the song Business Time. And uh, if you missed it, go back and listen to yesterday's podcast. Um, it'll be, oh, it's, um, it's, by the way, don't listen to it when the kids are around. It's not age friendly for them, and you may not want to listen to it at work either. You could get, um, you know, cited by your boss for surfing or listening to pornography. Well, anyway, so but it was from a church, you know, and that makes it okay. So Irene continues. She says they are not sexy and they can't do music either. Apparently, she didn't like their music musician skills. She says I would rate rate it as blasphemy, even if they weren't at church. It sounds like they're stuck in puberty and are very boring. Yeah, I agree. You know, this, that's the thing. One of my theories is a lot of these purpose driven, seeker sensitive type pastors who, who claim to be you know experts on church growth are really nothing more than junior high pastors who haven't really evolved or grown beyond the junior high mode, and so it's like sex. <laughs> We're gonna talk about sex. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, she says they may have done better to include more suitable lyrics like. You love me and I do too, instead of this awful delusional interpretation of in the midnight hour. I mean, mid-minute. Uh, anyway, don't you uh, don't you think you are pushing it when you say that this was uh, close to porn as they, there was nothing sexy in it at all? But if sex without love and respect is porn, then I guess you're right. Uh, the reason I call it audio porn is because um, it was a very descriptive um, descriptive of foreplay and the events leading up to... Uh, Doing it anyway. These pastors are are then being true to form as none of their preaching includes love ever. I found them annoying, extremely childish, and very funny. They they should be in the garage until they get uh, until they get over it. The uh, perversion part is that they did this in what they call church. Maybe these guys are working for the Viagra company. You know that's. You know, yeah, I could see one of these seeker-sensitive churches doing that. You know, uh, we're going to be doing a sermon on a sex series uh, for the next five weeks, and this sex series is brought to you by Cialis. Brought to you by Viagra. Viva Viagra. Yeah. I mean, these guys need a lot of money in order to keep these mega churches running, right? So, I mean, what better way to do it than to um, sell advertising prior to the, you know prior to the sermon you know and and now for the sermon brought to you by in fact um, we're going to do the same thing here at fighting for the faith although we're going to go with the sesame street model today's edition of fighting for the faith is brought to you by the letter q and z and the number three just want to let you know that <sighs> anyways anyways as far as the person that can't figure out why jesus was on the cross that would be william young the author of the shack uh, number one Christian bestseller right now and 
despite the fact that the author can't seem to uh, figure out what Jesus was doing on the cross. Uh, Irene writes, uh, only people who have seen their sin can be thankful for this act of kindness done by a merciful, loving, and gracious God. God wasn't being mean to Jesus. Just think, if he wouldn't have gotten killed, he would have never died. He was sinless. How cruel would that have been for him and us? By the way, Jesus says that uh, no one takes his life, but he lays it down of his own accord. Jesus willingly went to the cross to suffer our punishment for us. Anyway, I'm off on a tangent here. He says, uh, Irene writes, we would go to hell and the king of kings would have to live in the dark global dump of sin forever, having nothing to offer powerlessly watching the hell parade go by. Now that would mean that Jesus would be in hell, in the hell of agony forever in in his job half done. He obviously had a purpose in being there. I agree. Jesus had a purpose in being there. What was he doing? Um, He was bearing our iniquities he was being crushed for our transgressions you know things like that in the bible to talk about uh what he does anyway great email irene want to thank you for that and uh, if you would like to email us here at fighting for the faith you can do so email address is talkback at fighting for the faith.com that's talkback at fighting for the faith.com we do read all of them we cannot respond to all of them just want to let you know and uh, now for our <clears throat> the news segment of fighting for the faith we've got our vintage mu- news music here <clears throat> headline reads some christians denounce carbon for lent yeah is it me or is it, 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 I, I hear the sucking sound. <laughs> that that's the sound of uh, of intelligence leaving the church, the Christian church. Uh, and, and so uh, this story is from the Christian Post. It is written by Audrey Barrick who's a Christian Post reporter. Uh, it reads, um, churches around the world have chosen to give up carbon this Lent instead of engaging in the more traditional food or Activity fast. Yeah, <laughs> I remember a day when people would talk about, oh, I gave up uh, fast food for Lent. I gave up alcohol for Lent. And uh, now <laughs> uh, people are giving up carbon. Ridiculous. Anyway, in the 40-day period before Easter, some Christians are reducing the amount of greenhouse gases they produce in an effort to tackle climate change and in living out their call as stewards of the earth. Ugh. Uh, Folks, the whole global warming thing, it's bad science. I don't buy into it for a minute. And, uh, you know, you can reduce your carbon footprint all you want. It doesn't make you godly, or nor does it necessarily make you a good steward of the earth. Sorry, but, uh, you know, volcanoes have more impact on on our climate than we humans do just want to point that out anyway quote what we're doing is uh, taking traditional lenten practices and applying them to being caretakers of god's creation said the reverend ron howard uh, roy howard pastor of saint mark's presbyterian church in rockville maryland according to the washington post while tackling climate change has become a major priority for many christians in recent years uh liberal um emergent christians uh not all believers are supportive of a carbon fast for lent uh, mm-hmm. frank ferretti pa- uh, pa- professor of sociology at the university of kent says that the carbon fast represents a semi-conscious attempt to transform environmentalism into a caricature of a religion mm-hmm 
Ferretti released his critical statement after UK-based Tear Fund, a relief and development agency, launched a carbon fast initiative on February 25th. That's Ash Wednesday. Several British clergy have encouraged followers to take part in the carbon fast as a way of taking care of the poor who have contributed the least to climate change and are yet and yet are affected by it the most. Really. Agency, the agency encourages such activities, buying locally grown and produced food, using microwaves rather than conventional ovens, insulating homes, traveling less, and using low-flow shower heads. Climate change can mean our neighbors go hungry because of drought or lose their homes because of floods. Prove it. Uh, says a statement by Tear Fund. Prove it. Faced with the reality that there are many things that we can do, acting as part of the global church's response to change the way our lives impact poor communities. Can you prove this, please? Science. I'd like some science that actually proves that humans are causing climate change. By the way, um, last time I checked, okay, uh, this winter was actually a very, very cold winter. I thought uh, the planet was warming up. <clears throat> anyway, by the way, I have a prediction. Are you ready? Here's my, climato- my, my climatological prediction for this year. I, I, and, I, and I can speak prophetically here. Are you ready? Here it is. The summer is going to be hot. I guarantee that everybody living in the, night, in the United States will experience temperatures above 80 and 90 degrees. And in some places across the country, there will be heat waves in the hundreds. Yes, I, I, I'm st- stepping out on the limb here and saying that the summer is going to be hot. I'm also predicting for the fall, milder weather with some sporadic heat waves in between, depending on what part of the country that you live in. And I predict that the winter will be cold and there will be snow in all the places that normally get snow. There you go. Uh, by the way, I won't charge anything extra for that prediction. Ah, man. Anyway, from this standpoint, according to Freddie, the idea of original sin has been reinvented as an act of carbon emission. <laughs> the main purpose of the invention of the carbon fast is to make people feel guilty that they have a life. That's right. I feel guilty. I own a car. And I buy food that's not locally grown, and I've got to reduce my carbon footprint because that's what Jesus would do. Yeah, right. Anyway, Chuck Colson, uh, founder of Prison Fellowship and a prominent ev- evangelical, also denounced the carbon fast, saying if it shouldn't be passed off as a sacrifice, it it. it, it it shouldn't be passed off as a sacrifice for their sake. Uh-huh. Colson argues the poor would not benefit from such an initiative and that the only beneficiaries of a carbon fast will be Westerners who will feel better about their own lives, even as the lives of the supposed beneficiaries remained untouched. Colson has a great point there. No, I don't always agree with Chuck Colson. But in this particular case, folks, if you think that you're really helping the poor by going on a carbon fast, get your head out of the snow or the ground and wake up. The poor really need your help in a real way. And it's not you driving your car less or riding a bicycle to work or anything or turning off your lights. That's not how you help the poor. Get off your keister, break out your checkbook, and do something tangible and real. Don't let your conscience feel better because you've, you've reduced your carbon footprint. What a crock anyway all right next news story is called missional church movement the next big thing well is is the missional church movement the next big thing well before we answer the question my my question is what's missional i read this um story 
in the uh, Christian Post. By the way, it's a, the the uh, author of this of this is Michael A. Vu, who is a Christian Post reporter. It was written on uh, March twelfth in the Christian Post. A missional movement, the next big thing? Question mark. If it's going to be the next big thing, then couldn't could somebody please explain to me what it really is? After reading this news story, I'm still completely perplexed, mystified, in the dark, uh, confused about what is missional. I mean, it's the new buzzword. Everyone wants to, you know, I want to be part of a missional community. We're part of a missional outreach and we're missional. And what does it mean? I mean, when I was growing up, and I know I understand I'm old school when it comes to Christianity, you know, and I believe the Bible's the word of God, actually the word of God, inerrant, verbal inspiration, sola scriptura, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, that Christ died for my sins. You know, all I, you know, I hold to all of that. And I remember a time when we would talk about evangelism, Right? Evangelism was where you actually went out and shared the message of the law to convict sinners of their sinfulness and show them their need for a savior. And you preach the gospel to offer forgiveness and mercy to those sinners. And God, you know, would actually convert them and they would become Christians. You tell them to repent and believe the gospel. And guess what God does? God actually does what he says he's going to do when we do that and convert people to Christianity. I mean, so... I know what evangelism is. I know what sending somebody out on the mission field is all about, right? By the way, you can do missions here in the United States. Um, In fact, every church really is a mission church. Just want to let you know that. But um, so the big buzzword now is missional. Missional. We've got to be missional. And uh, I don't think anyone even knows what the word means. Let me prove this. Here we go. <clears throat> the story reads, more people are talking about going missional. Churches want in on the missional movement. But what is it really, and why are some claiming that it's the biggest development in Christianity since the Reformation? Hogwash. The Reformation, you can actually know what the argument was. People understood what being a Protestant was all about, understood that what they were protesting, understood the, the issues. Missional means nothing. Anyway, we continue. The, the missional movement, in many ways, is a counterforce to the, to the traditional way of doing church. Rather than being program-focused, fo- the missional church prides itself on being people-focused. Uh, okay. Uh, missional is a way of life, not an affiliation or activity. Let me translate that for you. Uh, being missional means that you focus on deeds, not creeds. I think that's what this means, but we'll continue. Anyway, missional is a way of life, not an affiliation or an activity, explains missional leadership specialist Reggie McNeil in his new book, Missional Rena- Renaissance, Changing the Scorecard for the Church. To think and to live missionally means seeing all life as a way to be engaged with the mission of God in the world. Huh? What does that sentence mean? Let me, let me repeat it. Hang on a second here. Oh, there's, I, I notice that there's a noun. I see verb. All right. To think and to live missionally means seeing all life as a way to be engaged with the mission of God in the world. I, I'm drawing a blank. It's like the sentence, blue sleeps faster than Tuesday. Did you know that blue sleeps faster than Tuesday? I mean, it's, I know that's profound and deep and all. Blue sleeps faster than Tuesday. Well, that's... I have no idea what that means. 
Yeah, it's a sentence, though. Anyway, we continue. A, a person or church that goes missional does not measure how well they are doing spiritually by how often they attend church or how many people fill the pews on Sunday. Instead, missional individuals think about God in the world and arrange their whole life, every aspect of their life, around their faith convictions and put their faith into everyday actions. Yeah, I, I, I think missional means deeds, not creeds. I think that's what this means. So the missional understanding of Christianity is undoing Christianity as a religion, McNeil writes. Oh, so to be missional is to basically undo Christianity as a religion. Boy, that's uh, progress, wouldn't you think? I mean, how can you say it's Christian if your goal is to set out to undo Christianity as a religion? Isn't Christianity a religion? I mean, last time I checked... By the way, if you hear that in the background, that's one of the tornado sirens they're practicing today. Anyway, we continue. I don't know if you can hear this or not. Anyway, so um, <clears throat> we continue. So, all right. So the missional understanding of Christianity is undoing Christianity as a religion. McNeil writes, these differences are so huge as to make missional and non-missional expressions of Christianity practically unrecognizable. Uh, that sentence was completely unintelligible. Anyway, we continue. The three major shifts in thinking and behavior seen in a person or church that goes missional are from internal to external in terms of ministry focus, from program development to people development in terms of core activity, and from church-based to kingdom-based in terms of leadership agenda. No idea what that means. Anyway, for these missional leaders, church has moved from being internally occupied to externally focused, from primary concentrating, uh, primarily concentrating on its institutional maintenance to developing an incarnational influence. Um, what is an incarnational influence? I, I, I need. A, does anyone have a missional lexicon? Uh, if you do, could you email that to me? Uh, Talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. I have no idea what this sentence means. Okay, let's see. So maintenance development. In, so so um, you go from being occupied to externally focused from primarily concentrating on its institutional maintenance to developing an incarnational influence. So it's an, it's an influence with meat. I don't know what that means. Anyway, these leaders find themselves thinking of kingdom impact more than church growth. Really? What's kingdom impact? Uh, what does that word mean? Anyway, those who are part of the missional movement are serious about personal development and not just interested in gaining a lot of scripture knowledge. Oh, yeah, but but not putting it into practice, explains the expert who has helped churches from as large as 10,000 members to as small as 30 become missional. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm now convinced that missional means um, Rick Warren. It's a, basically it's uh, it's it's a hip version of what Rick Warren, Rick Warren called deeds, not creeds. Anyway, some of the activities that missional churches lead include uh, processing food and a prayer journal into backpacks for underprivileged children and starting microeconomic businesses in inner cities. I see. So apparently our job as a church is to develop microeconomic businesses in inner cities. Um, I thought our job was to Proclaim Christ, preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. I, you know, well, again, I must be thinking old school. A missional church is not about doing church better. At least that's the way we've done church in North America, McDeal says. It's not church growth as a new in a new dress. Missional thinking and living, uh, living change and game uh, missional thinking and living change the game completely. The missional renaissance is altering both 
the character and the expression of the church world. Yeah, we, they, you're right. It's changed the expression of the church world. We've gone from actually being lucid to being complete, <laughs> completely um, unintelligible. Um, so, folks, if you if you are part of a missional church um, and you understand what it is that he's talking about in this story, email me, talk back at fightingforthefaith.com, because I have no clue what he's talking about. It just sounds like some hip new semantics that somebody's thrown together and everyone's jumping on board because that's the new thing to do. We got to be missional, right? Anyway. All right. If you would like, we're up on our first break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard so far, talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Chicago, 6 p.m. Inside Lucy Perkins' bedroom. I want to tell you my secret now. Okay. I see emergent people. In your dreams? No. When you're awake? Yeah. Emergent people like in coffee shops and cohorts? Walking around like regular people. They don't see the truth. They only see what they want to believe. They don't know that in their sins. How often do you see them? All the time. They're everywhere. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. That was the theme of our 2008-2009 school year at St. Peter's Lutheran Day School in Plymouth, Michigan. We're planning for the next school year with an open house on March 22nd. For more details, please see our website, www.stpetersluthernplymouth.org, or call us at 734-453-0460. That's 734-453-0460. Avast there, Pirate Christian Radio listener. Have you visited the Pirate Christian Radio store yet? This is a place where you can stock up on Pirate Christian Radio gear. 
don't be a stowaway on our ship. You can let your friends and neighbors know that you are a proud member of our crew by buying one of our Pirate Christian Radio t-shirts or coffee mugs. The best part is that all the proceeds help to keep our ship afloat so that we can take people's false doctrine and share the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Log on to piratechristianradio.com, click on the store link from our homepage, and do it today. You'll be glad that you did. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. Warning. This program could cause you to hate your church. Could cause you consternation. Got to be careful when you're listening to this program. Why? Because we're all about comparing what people say to the Word of God. I want to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you guys to pay our airtime fees and to pay our salaries. And we've done our part. We've completely reduced our salaries by moving to the Midwest. So hopefully you all, if you're growing in your understanding of Christ, Christian doctrine, how to defend the Christian faith, to think biblically, to think critically, and to not allow yourself to be deceived, then partner with us. Join us. Help us continue to bring this outreach to you. You can do so by going to fightingforthefaith.com and clicking on the Donate button. Yes, you can donate by clicking on the Donate button, or if you would like to do it the traditional way, and you like that paper trail like I do, you can uh, send your gift to Fighting for the Faith, Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana. The zip code is 46038. We're in the middle of uh, looking at some news stories, and uh, here's one that caught my eye. Uh, Well, those of you who really believe that Todd Bentley is a prophet of God and thought that the entire Florida outpouring, the the three-ring circus that was the Florida outpouring that occurred in Lakeland, Florida last year, was really from God. Well, good news, uh, your ringleader, Todd Bentley, he's on the way to complete restoration. It's just a matter of time before he sets up shop again, and you can hear those famous words, BAM! Coming from Todd Bentley as he describes how he kicks old ladies in the teeth with his motorcycle boot because God told him to. Uh, Yeah, that whole thing kind of fizzled out when it was discovered that he was having an affair with his nanny. And uh, anyway, we read uh, Todd Bentley gets divorced. He's married his nanny and now he's beginning the restoration Process. This is actually from a website called Slaughtering Sheep. I thought uh, she did a fine job of... Uh, anyway, re- oh, man. So here we go. Um, the inappropriate relationship with the nanny, which is was part of the reason why Todd Bentley made a swift exit from the Lakeland Revival, doesn't seem to be much of an issue with him now. In a statement released by Rick Joyner, Rick Joyner of Morningstar Ministries, um, we've covered him before, too, here at Fighting for the Faith. Go back through the archives. Uh, anyway, Rick Joyner speaks of his sorrow and grief during the transitioning time between leaving the revival and his wife and children and the present. But according to photos circulating around the Internet of Bentley and the nanny enjoying themselves at an amusement park, he looked to be anything but remorseful. There are also video captures of Jessa Hasbrook present, uh, present on stage with Bentley at the Lakeland Revival. I submit that uh, Bentley is 
not being candid. Anyway, the fact that Rick Joyner can go against God's word and to seek to restore this man to the ministry shows his lack of regard for knowledge of God's word. Yeah, well, you see, I mean, Todd Bentley was probably one of the greatest things to happen, um, you know, in this new apostolic uh, movement. Uh, anyway, if you can call it that. Um, but, you know... Let's let's see if I can find this online. I, I want to uh, I want to link to this here. Here we go. There's a oh uh, let's see. This is this a statement? Yeah. Here we go. This is the joint statement made by Morning Star Ministry. Remember Morning Star Ministry? We covered them. They they did that tri- Christian tribal music thing that just sounded like witchcraft, if you can call it that. So here's their joint statement. Todd Bentley begins restoration process. Todd Bentley was used to spark the Lakeland outpouring, which raised the faith level of much of the body of Christ. No, it didn't because it wasn't a true outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was demonic. Anyway, testimonies of healings and miracles from it are now virtually all over the world um they were duped uh when todd's marriage failed he abruptly stopped all ministry and virtually disappeared for almost nine months i wish it would be longer anyway in the meantime his divorce was finalized and he has recently remarried todd has taken full responsibility for the failure of his marriage he and jessa also admit that their relationship was premature and should not have happened the way that it did um um how about it shouldn't have happened (sighs) Anyway, both are adamant that it was not the cause for the failure of his first marriage, nor did they begin the relationship until Todd was convinced that his marriage was over. He was convinced of it, but it legally wasn't over, was it? Anyway, um, they they have both expressed that it was wrong and premature, and they do not want to try to cover this up, even though they know that many will never accept them for it. Even so, they are married now and are resolved to make the most of their marriage, their lives, and to continue to serve the Lord in the best way that they can. Todd Bentley, I want to let you know, the best way that you can serve God is by not ever coming back into ministry, because what you did was not from God. It was from the devil, and it wasn't real christianity it wasn't from the holy spirit it was from a different spirit so do us all a favor and serve the body of christ by disappearing staying out of the media and never coming back please please i mean in 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 all honesty i the whole marriage thing as terrible as it is it's like the least of my worries My big worry is that you don't actually preach Christ and him crucified for our sins. And this circus that you put on is not Christianity at all. It's it's demonic, deceptive and leading people to hell. It's not it's not Christianity. Anyway, we continue with the story. My position all along has been that I will do my best to comply with Galatians 6 1. If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, uh, lest you also be tempted. To obey this word, I've always felt that it did not matter what one had done and that it was my responsibility to help them find the grace of God to return to the place from which they had fallen. (laughs) I confess that with Todd, I, I am not just doing this as a duty. From the time I first met him nearly 10 years ago, I knew that he had an extraordinary purpose and a gift of faith for the miraculous that would be desperately needed in these times. And I consider helping any of God's children an honor and helping Todd is a privilege. Translation, he's coming back. Get ready. And of course, when he does, we hear it fighting for the faith because this is what we do. Um, we'll be... Um, Covering uh, the story.
Lucky us. Oh, man. I cannot believe that people actually believe that that guy, what he's done or is doing has anything to do with God, the Holy Spirit of the Scriptures. All right. Next uh, next here on our hit parade, one more, one more little news story, and then we're going to... Uh, and we're going to dive into the book of Mark. This is from <clears throat> a website called The Ooze. This, uh, the Ooze, by the way, is one of those hubs of emergent thinking. Uh, conversation for the journey is their tagline, The Ooze. Uh, folks, if you are having something ooze from you, you definitely want to go see your doctor. Uh, you may need to get a shot or to have a prescription for antibiotics. See, ooze, oozing is not a sign of healthiness. It's a sign of uh, sickness. And so um, just want to point that out to you. Ooze is not good. I mean, if you, you, you let's say you have a, a boil or a blister or, or some kind of a skin lesion, and there's ooze associated with it, that means you're sick. Okay? I think the same applies here. Why anyone would want to go to a website claiming to be oozing... Um, <laughs> the the headline for the story from the news it says how to have a direct experience of god now i'm going to stop right there the the, the 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 story is by father peter bose and immediately my question is where in the bible does it say what we can and should do in order to have a quote direct experience of god what steps does the Bible lay out for us to have a, quote, direct experience of God? Anyway, what you'll notice here in this piece is that um, there seems to be a supreme lack of um, Scripture backing up any of these statements, which is why we're discussing it here at Fighting for the Faith. So Father Peter Bowes writes, many say they believe in God. But believing in God is not the same as having a direct experience of God. Uh, well, hold on a second here. Um, believing in God. So many say they believe in God, but believing in God is not the same as having a direct experience of God. Now, I, I'm going to point something out to you here. Um, Jesus, um, believe, hang on a second here, believe in him. Okay. Okay. Um <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Just just doing a little biblical work here. Um Yeah. For instance, I, I want to point something out. What's under attack in this first day, se- sentence? Belief in God, right? Uh you know, hey, listen. You might say you believe in God. But did you know that you haven't really directly experienced him if you just believe in him? So what's the thing under attack? Uh, belief in God is under attack. Now, remember, uh, one of the ways the devil likes to work, um, it really has to do with Christianity and. Christianity and. Um, which was the problem was going on in the Galatian church, remember? The Galatian church, the Galatian heresy brought on by the Judaizers was faith or belief and circumcision. This is a supreme example of belief plus something else. This is belief plus direct experience. Okay. Um, yeah, let's, let's see. Uh, we read in John chapter three sixteen. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, does John 3.16 say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him and has a direct experience of him will not perish but have eternal life? Uh, No, it doesn't. It just says believe. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. That's pretty simple, right? So according to Jesus, belief is like the thing, which by the way, the Greek word for belief, uh, pistis is really the, it's, it's, it's faith. It's complete trust. All right. Um, so here we got, um, actually, I think that I was quoting the noun form of that. Hang on a second here. Whoever believes, yeah, pistio, sorry. Pistio is the <coughs> verbal form of pistis. Pistis is the noun. Pistio is the verb form of it. So believing, pistuo, is trusting in God. Okay? Jesus has a, such a high supreme value put upon faith and belief that Jesus says that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Right? But Father Peter Bowes here, right off the bat in this um, thing from the ooze, um, is attacking belief by tacking onto it something else. Many say they believe in God, but... Remember, but is a verbal eraser many times. Many times, but can be a verbal eraser. Many say they believe in God, but... Believing in God is not the same as having a direct experience of God. Really, where does it say that in the Bible, Father Bowes? It doesn't. You're attacking belief. You're attacking faith. We are saved by grace through faith alone. Already, just the first sentence into this, we've got a problem. But we continue. Direct means firsthand, not secondhand. It's not hearsay or conjecture. Direct means something happens to you. You go through something, and then you can say you have had an experience. Throughout history, belief in God has resulted in people gathering for worship in churches, mosques, and temples all over the world. People still congregate based on similar beliefs about God, but how many can really say they know God? Wow. How many? So apparently I can, uh, all this time I've gone to church, read my Bible, um, believing that it's God's word. Apparently I don't really know God. Despite the fact that the Bible is God's self-revelation, right? He has revealed himself throughout all of history, and it's in cause through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for these, this information about him to be recorded in the scriptures. But apparently, belief is not just enough, and, and going to church and hearing the word of God. See, I don't really know God. <laughs> I mean, if God was walking down the street, would you, would you recognize him? What if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us, just a stranger on the bus trying to find his way home? All right, that sounded stupid. All right, anyway, so Father Peter Bowes says, how many can you say they really know God? Well, actually, I can say I know a lot about God because if I want to know what God is like, I look at Jesus. Who was God in human flesh? Now, I wasn't there, but the people who were there recorded it for me so that I might believe, have faith and trust in him. And I can know a lot about God by looking at Jesus and about what God is like because of his word. So actually, I know I know God. Uh-huh. 
Anyways, Father Bo says, well, love and faith are the two most important qualities that make a substantial relationship with God possible. Okay. Love pulls you in, pulls you to the divine being and faith expects that something real will happen. Huh? Uh, this, wow, his definition of faith is, isn't even biblical. Anyway, he says, love connects you and God together. And faith brings trust that God will respond to your hopes. Uh, no, that's not the biblical definition of faith, Father Bose. Um, faith is not me trusting that God will respond to my hopes. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we don't see. What is it that we hope for? We hope for the resurrection of the dead because of the forgiveness of sins won by Jesus Christ on the cross. We hope for eternal life. And it's not my hopes that he's responding to. This is a hope that was put into me, really through the working of the Holy Spirit and God's word. Anyway, Father Bose continues. He says, love creates the opening for something genuine to occur in relationship with God. Really, where does it say that in the Bible? Anyway, faith reaches out beyond what is comfortable, stretching you to feel and see what you long for with your whole heart, mind, and soul. Really, where does it say that in the Bible? Can you prove it? Prove it. Hello, hello. You ever heard of the Bible? Uh, can you prove any of these assertions that you're making? Oh, no, I'm sorry. You probably don't consider God's word to be authoritative. Uh, but your experiences apparently are. Anyway, <clears throat> we continue. A direct experience of God requires love and faith. A direct experience of God requires love and faith. Oh. So in order for me to have a direct re- experience of God, I have to do something. So if I do the right things, then I can have a direct experience of God. This is the law. Really. Both of which play integral roles in preparing you to meet God. With love and faith, you let the divine being know that you care enough so that God will come and give you God's self. Really? So apparently if if I have enough love and faith, then I'm going to let God know that I care enough. And that once God sees that I care enough, then God's going to um, come and give himself to me. So God's basically just sitting on the sidelines waiting for me to show him that I care enough. Where does it say that in the Bible? Any, anywhere? Any, in, in, I, I can't recall any single verse that says that. Anyway, <clears throat> the story continues. You have to silence the mind and the emotions and develop a stillness that can wait for a response from God. Where does it say that in the Bible? Serious. Uh, and wh- which passage of Scripture says that I have to silence my mind and my emotions and develop a stillness that can wait for a response from God? Of course, this is, it's not just enough to do that. I have to actually show God that I have enough love and faith, that I care enough, so that then he will come and give himself to me. Anyway, the story continues. With meditation and prayer, a person can clear the mind of the world and the distractions of the senses in preparation for this meeting with God. Why should I believe that God's going to come meet with me if I clear my mind and my senses? Where does it say that in the Bible? Anyway, God will come when you have cleared away all the other gods in your life. Well, then he's never going to come in my life because I'm still a sinner. Plenty of idols I've set up in my own mind all of which I need to repent of. Anyway, so God will come when you have cleared away all the other gods in your life, and this takes work, patience, and diligent effort. Oh, well, good to know that uh, th- that when God sees that I've done enough of that, that he's going to come and, and let me have a direct experience of. How, do, how much is enough? How much clearing away do I have to do of all the other gods in my life? 
I know you say it takes work and patience and diligent effort. I mean, is, is it, when I clear away 50% of the gods, of false gods in my life, will God then come to me and show that because I've shown him that I care enough? Or is it 75%? Is it 80? Maybe 90. Ni- maybe 95. So, so when, how, and how do I measure this? How will I know that I've uh, achieved the correct amount of clearing away of, of God, the other gods in my life so that I can have a direct experience with God? Anyway, he continues. The initial phase of this preparation can be somewhat discouraging. Yeah, because it's all based on the law. There's no gospel here. This isn't even Christianity. And because the most dark and detrimental parts of your nature show up for review. You just can't ask God to come into a place soiled with dirt, confusion, and negative energy. So you will have to make a clean and wholesome space before you invite God to reside in you. Uh, Good luck! I haven't, so far in my entire 40 years on this planet, I have not been able to go a single day without sinning. Come to think of it, I haven't been able to go a single hour, a single minute. Um, It's probably less than that. Uh, Second, uh, I can't, I sin all the time. So how on earth am I supposed to clear out a clean place for God when I um, can't even not sin at all, period. Anyway, perfect example of completely twisting the law here. Remember, I said this is about Christianity and he's poo-pooing belief and trying to convince you that you need belief and these direct experiences. And in order for you to be worthy to have these direct experiences, you've got to clean out all the crap in your life and you better do it now. Otherwise, you know, you can't, you're not worthy to have this experience, right? Anyway, so uh, Father Peter Bowes continues, by the way, this was written in the ooze. Uh, All the mystics and saints have described direct experience of God in in much the same way. Each describes experience the love of their life in the embrace of God's kiss and God's presence. Okay, listen, Uh, you're creeping me out and talking about that. I mean, you're making it sound like the last thing I want is some bearded guy kissing me. Okay. Anyway, he says, no fear can exist in the presence of God since God is all love and light. Yeah, the problem is is what you're teaching me doesn't help me experience the one true God. This sounds like a false God because it's all based on the law. Anyway, God is inside of you and is loving you with every ounce you are willing to receive. and, And this experience will move you from belief to knowing. Oh, so we got to move beyond belief. Now we need to move to knowing. Uh huh. Folks, this is exactly how Satan works. See, Satan doesn't want you to believe. He wants you to mix it up with something else. I mean, belief plus mystical experience. And the only way you can have mystical experience is by being worthy enough to clear out a clean place. God is waiting for you to show that you're serious about this. And then when you've done enough, then you can experience God's love directly. (sighs) When you come into a direct experience of the God at the center of your being, it will change you completely and you will know a profound peace that cannot be disturbed by the confusion of the world. You know what, what's funny is, is that the peace that God offers, by the way, is the peace between me and God based upon Jesus Christ. Cause what was Jesus Christ doing? He was reconciling the world to himself when he was hung on a cross. Jesus Christ was God in human flesh You want to know what God is like? You want to experience him? Listen to his words recorded in scripture. Listen to his deeds recorded in scripture. And this God came to earth 
to literally make peace unilaterally. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for sinners. That's you and me. And so I now have peace with God because God has made peace between us through the shed blood of Christ. That's the peace that's offered to us in Scripture. This mystical direct experience, garbage. First of all, it's nowhere in the Bible. Secondly, it's a false peace. It's not the peace that God is offering us. I have peace with God presently right now, and not because I've cleaned up my life enough, not because I've showed God that I'm serious about it this time. It's not because I've cleaned out all the soiled life of my, and clean, put a clean spot in my heart for him to come and dwell with me. No. The only thing I've added to my relationship with God is my sin. And so have you. No, the peace that God is offering is a peace that's completely free and is not based on the law. It is based purely upon what Jesus Christ has done for us. He lived a perfectly sinless life. He died and took on our punishment, your punishment for sins upon himself on the cross. What Jesus got you is that's what you deserved. And he propitiated God's wrath. And he is offering us salvation and peace with him purely for free. And not by belief plus something else, but by simply trusting in him. Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's what the scripture teaches. It is not a work. It's not based upon the law. It's not belief. And it is pure and simple faith in Jesus Christ, that simple faith that even a child can have. This stuff from the ooze, I, maybe I'll put a link up to this, I, well, maybe. <clears throat> this is legalistic mysticism. It can't save you, can't offer you peace, can't offer you hope. What it can offer you is deception, and you fall into this, and poo-poo belief, and instead trump up all this other legalistic, mystical mumbo-jumbo and hocus-pocus, you'll be deceived, and your and your fate will be hell. All right, we're up on our second break. When we get back, we're going to continue our walk through the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 13, where Jesus Christ talks about the end times. Ooh, a little eschatology today. And then we're going to listen to a sermon, uh, if you can call it that, from Carrie Shook of Carrie Shook Ministries on um, recovering lost treasure. And it even has a pirate theme. And you would think I'd be excited about that, but as we get into the sermon, you'll realize <laughs> it's nothing to be excited about. So, um, hey, if you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on today's program so far, you can do so. By emailing me at uh, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. It's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. We'll be right back. advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
This sissy, pansy, turning photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. This month's Pirate Christian Radio Book of the Month for March is Theologia et Apologia. This important work gathers together 18 essays written by some of today's top biblical and Reformation scholars, including Michael Horton, Adam Francisco, Angus Manuge, John Warwick Montgomery, Craig Parton, Kim Riddlebarger, and R.C. Sproul. Collectively, the essays in this book teach and defend biblical theology, especially the theology restored to the church during the time of the Reformation. They address topics including the case for biblical inerrancy, a Christian critique in response to Islam, repentance, a defense of sola scriptura, and much, much more. This little-known theological treasure is a welcome addition to the library of any thinking Christian. You can purchase Theologia et Apologia at piratechristianradio.com. Click on the store link. The book only costs $38 plus $4 shipping and handling, and all proceeds help to continue to bring Pirate Christian Radio to you. So visit piratechristianradio.com and purchase your copy today. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith, segment number two. I'd call it hour number two, but as you've uh, found out, if you listen to Fighting for the Faith for any amount of time, um, this show doesn't end at any particular point. <laughs> the reason why we have to air this on Pirate Christian Radio is because uh, that's the uh, radio station that I own. <clears throat> I don't like time constraints. So we just go until I'm done. <laughs> it's not any way to do radio, let me tell you. But it works for us here at uh, Fighting for the Faith. All right, we, are, we have been working our way through the Gospel of Mark. And the reason why we're working our way through the Gospel of Mark is because God's Word is supreme. This is not to show off my theological prowess, because if you've spent any time listening to this program, you'll find out that I don't really have much prowess when it comes to theology. But I do understand God's word, and I do understand the power of God's word. And our job as Christians is to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. But that also, is, as being a disciple of Jesus Christ, we want to abide in the words of Christ and to learn everything that he said, he did, he taught, he did, he did, he did, you know what I'm saying. By the way, somebody sent me, I got two people who sent me an email saying that when I talk about the possessive of Jesus, that I'm saying it wrong. When I say Jesus is, they, they say that's wrong. I got to stop doing that. So um, Jesus, you know, I, I think I can work on this. <clears throat> we'll see what I can do. Anyway, so what's the goal here? Familiarize yourself with the passages so that you can teach others. Now, Mark chapter 13 deals with eschatology, and it does a very good, clear, concise does it in a very clear and concise way. 
Now listen carefully. I mean, if you want to know what the end of the world's going to be like, mm, this will tell you. Are you ready? Here we go. Mark chapter 13, starting at verse 1. As he, that's Jesus, was leaving the temple. Hang on a second here. Um, one of his disciples came to him and said, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another. It will be thrown down. Now, when did this happen, by the way? 70 AD. Okay. So, um, and as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, hey, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of all of these things are about to be accomplished? Okay. And Jesus began to say, see to it that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of war, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines. But these are the beginning of birth pains. Okay, now, interesting choice of words, by the way. Notice that Jesus says this isn't the beginning of destruction. He says it's birth pains. We Christians should have a very interesting view when it comes to eschatology. We could focus on the pain, the suffering, the tribulation, all that kind of stuff. But Jesus said these, all this pain and suffering and these tribulations that are coming are birth pains. They're like contractions. Something's going to be given birth to. Let's say the earth is pregnant and humanity's pregnant. And what's going to be given birth to here at the end is the visible kingdom of God. Something to rejoice over and to fear and dread at the same time, depending on where you are. Anyway, so Jesus calls it birth pains. Uh, Verse 9. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils. You will be beaten in the synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand as far as what you're going to say. But say whatever is given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death. Father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Well, there we go. Having their best life then. Anyway, he says, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand and let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is in the housetop not go down nor enter his house or take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in the winter, for in those days... There will be such tribulation that has not been seen from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and will never be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he has shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. So be on your guard. I've told you all of things beforehand. 
So you want to know what the uh, end times is going to be like? As terrible as it's going to be, the worst part about it is, is it going to be false Christ, false prophets performing signs and wonders. And the purpose of these signs and wonders is to mislead the elect, to deceive you, if that were possible. Which is all the more reason why fighting for the faith is an important program. Why? Because we encourage and help teach you to compare what people are saying to the word of God. And believe me, you, just because somebody can perform a miracle doesn't mean that it's from God. Jesus say, said, false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders. There is a time coming where there will be false Christs, people claiming to be Jesus and false prophets claiming to be messengers from God, and they will perform miracles, verifiable miracles. Even the amazing Randy the skeptic will have to say that this is not happening through uh, shenanigans. They will be bona fide miracles. And just because somebody performs a miracle does not mean it's from God. Because Jesus has told us ahead of time that the end times are going to be marked with major deception and even deception to the point where false Christ will perform miracles to mislead the elect, if that were possible. So then, if somebody performs a miracle, how are you to know whether or not it's from God? Real simple. Keep this in mind. God never stutters and God never contradicts himself. So when a false Christ arrives and he performs signs and wonders, you take the message, the words of that false Christ, and you compare it to the written word of God. And you will find out that that false Christ, whomever he or she might be, is teaching lies about God that contradicts God's word. God's word is true even if somebody claims to be Jesus Christ and performs miracles to prove it. God never stutters. God doesn't contradict himself. So beware the false prophets and the false Christ. They're already here. But it's only going to get worse. Jesus says, In those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. The whole world will know when Jesus is coming. They will see him coming on the clouds. There will be no mistaking it. It's not like Jesus is going to show up on CNN one day. And then he will send out his angels to gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. So truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the sun, but only the Father. Be on your guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. 
It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home, he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, let us heed the words of our Lord. Let us stay awake and be sober-minded and compare everything that our teachers tell us to the word of God, whether they perform miracles or not. Let us compare and test all things and hold to that which is good. Stay awake and let us not be deceived. For the hour is coming and in many ways has already come when deceivers will go out into the world to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Stay awake. All right, we are now on the last segment of our program today. Dun, da, da, da. <laughs> it's time for a bad sermon review. <laughs> now, folks, I want, to, I want to remind you, I'm not going to be in studio Thursday and Friday of this week. I know, I know, I've got a short business trip I've got to take, but I will be back in the studio on Monday. So, you know, we've done two days in a row. We've done good stuff. We had to throw in a stinky sermon. But, uh, (laughs) oh, man, you would think I would be excited about this one. You would think. But if you thought that, then you thought wrong. The name of the sermon is called Buried Treasure. And I kid you not, this is from Fellowship of the Woodlands in uh, in, uh, north part of Houston, Texas. And uh, Carrie Shook has a full-blown pirate ship. A full-blown pirate ship on his stage, and uh, you know, I mean, being the—I <clears throat> uh, mean, the head, the the admiral, the captain of pirate Christian radio—you would think I would get all excited about that, but no. Oh man. Anyway, so do you want to recover your buried treasure? <laughs> I'm sorry. This, here's Carrie Shook from Fellowship of the Woodlands. On uh, recovering your buried treasure. That runs through all the fictional stories and movies about pirates is buried treasure. Whether it's Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island or Disney's Pirates of the Caribbean, there's just something fascinating to us about pirates hiding priceless treasure and then leaving behind a map for future treasure seekers. Okay, completely bunny trail side note here um if you are in the midwest and are anywhere near chicago the field museum in chicago right now has an excellent exhibit that they're doing on pirates and they have on display there at the field museum in uh, chicago the only the only pirate treasure ever recovered in history yeah it's from oh what's the name of that pirate ship um Oh man, I want to. I forget the name of it. Anyway, it's it's amazing. It, so th- in all of history, there's only ever been one bona fide, for real, certified pirate treasure that has ever been recovered. And uh, this, and they have it on display right now at the Field Museum. It's a fascinating exhibit they have set up there. Completely has nothing to do with the sermon. Just wanted to let you know. How do I know? Because I've recently gone to Chicago and went to the Field Museum to see the pirate exhibit. It's worth going there. Folks, and I think it's there until like uh, October of this year. So if you are going to be in the Chicago area any time this year, it's worth seeing this. But here we go. 
Here's uh, Carrie Shook again on Buried Treasure. The stories of buried treasure are definitely fascinating, but unfortunately, they're just fiction. In fact, history records only one such treasure. It was pirate William Kidd, Captain Kidd. He buried his treasure in Long Island before he returned to New York. He was hoping that this hidden treasure could be used as a bargaining chip to avoid punishment. Well, apparently it didn't work because Captain Kidd was hanged for piracy. Now, the notion of buried treasure sounds romantic, but it's not realistic. And it reminds me of the treasure of happiness in life. (laughs) By the way, Carrie Shook uh, is the only man that I know who was capable of taking a sermon on 007, James Bond, and completely castrating it. Um, Here we've got buried treasure. And in one fell swoosh of his sword, uh, Carrie Shook has just castrated this potentially male sermon. Here we go. Happily ever after, it sounds romantic. But it's not realistic. Folks, happily ever after is one of those categories that falls under the female category. And um, quite frankly, I've never really worried too much about living happily ever after or having a storybook romance or life or anything like that. The, I didn't play with dolls when I was growing up. Anyway. The word happiness and the word happenstance come from the same root. That's because happiness depends on what's happening around me, my circumstances. If my circumstances are perfect, then I'm happy. But the problem is my circumstances are rarely perfect. That's because life is a series of problems. And wherever... You know, as I'm watching this video, the pirate ship in the background looks grossly out of place. I mean, when I think of pirates, I think of men. There are, you know, bad breath and, and salty talk and, you know. And here's Carrie Shook. <laughs> talking about happiness in front of a pirate ship. (laughs) Wherever you go, there'll always be problems. Because wherever you go, there you are. Ooh, that was profound. It'll take you a while, but you'll get it. And we're in a series called Pirates, Reclaiming My Stolen Treasure. And today we're going to learn how to discover... A treasure that goes much deeper than superficial happiness. It's a treasure that God wants to bury deep in your heart. It's a treasure that can't be touched by troubles or stolen by circumstances. It's the treasure of joy. So I want you to open your Bibles to James. We've got that joy, 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 joy down in your heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Chapter 1. You'll see our key verses right there. And would you stand in honor of God's word and just read it out loud with me? I wonder how many verses they're going to be standing for here. I'm glad they're standing in honor of God's word. How many verses? It looks like maybe three or four. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Okay, now, what kind of testing and trials do you think that James is writing about here? The ordinary ups and downs and whoopsies of life? Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I want you to underline the words pure joy in that passage. Because today, we are going to discover by digging deep into this passage, 
Digging, by the way. That was, uh, he's weaving in some piratey terms there because pirates dig for treasure. The four secrets on how to experience the treasure of joy. Wow, there's four secrets. I had no idea. Carrie Shook, are you a Gnostic? You know, I asked the question because, you know, the, historically the Gnostics were all about secret knowledge. So apparently Carrie Shook is going to tell us the four secrets. There are four secrets. Not three, not five, but four secrets to experiencing pure joy, apparently in the scriptures. Let's find out what they are. And then we're going to see a living example of joy. You're going to hear from one of the most inspiring people that you will ever meet. Nick Vujicic from Australia. But the treasure of joy is buried deep. It's buried treasure. You won't find it on the surface. First, I find the treasure of joy buried beneath my circumstances. When my circumstances don't make sense, I lose my joy. That's because I focus on my circumstances. But what I have to realize is that my circumstances are really just the surface level. But when my circumstances don't make sense, I tend to focus on this surface level. So he's writing on something that looks like different strata of the earth. So the surface is on the... So he's... Now, by the way, these are secrets that he's sharing with us. Okay. And the reason why they're probably secrets is because if you just read James by yourself, you wouldn't be able to find these. But thankfully, through Carrie Shook's secret detection methods, where he can detect the secrets of experiencing pure joy, he's able to unlock these secrets and share them with us. Uh, you plebes out there, no, don't think that you can find these on your own in the Bible. No, ho, ho. You have to depend upon Carrie Shook to reveal them to you. These are secrets. No, but not for long. And I never get deeper. But real joy, the Bible says, is buried much deeper. It's buried treasure. But the problem is we just focus in on our circumstances. Look what this passage says. Whenever you face trials of many kinds. Underline many kinds. Again, hang on a second here, James. I, I just have to do a little bit of work here. Okay. All right. So James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and the steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom. Do you think James here is writing about just everyday ordinary circumstances? Trials of various kinds is what the passage says. Let me let me look do a little work here. Um, parasmos. Okay, well, let's look this up here. The word trials. Um, okay, a testing or a trial. The attempt to make a wrong, a temptation or an enticement. Hmm. I don't think he's just talking about everyday, ordinary psychological trials. Just just a gut feeling here because I bet you anything. The Apostle James never once watched a, an episode of Oprah, Dr. Phil, or in this case, um, Carrie Shook Ministries. And so we continue. Because problems come in all shapes and sizes. A series of circumstances will come into your life and then you have a choice. Because one of the greatest barriers to experiencing the treasure of joy in my life is when I think if I could just change my circumstance, I'd be happy. If I could just change this, I'd be happy. If I could just change that, I'd be happy. Maybe you think if I could just change jobs, I'd be happy. If my- you know, Carrie, if you painted the pirate ship pink, it might better suit this sermon. 
my boss would change, I'd be happy. If my spouse would change, then I'd be happy. If my circumstance would just change, then I would be happy. And the problem with that is, I'm focusing on that surface issue of circumstances. And the real treasure is buried much deeper because joy has nothing to do with my circumstances, but everything to do with my character. Uh, What about the fact that joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit because of the faith that we have in Jesus Christ and trusting in him for the salvation and trusting in his work on the cross to uh, atone for our sins and propitiate God's wrath? You know, Christ crucified for our sins. I don't think that's going to get brought up. Now, sometimes God changes my circumstances. Sometimes I'll pray, God, take this problem out of my life. And God will do that. He'll work a miracle and change my circumstances. But other times, God changes my character instead of my circumstances. Sometimes God changes my circumstances. You know, Carrie, uh, the passage you're reading actually talks about uh, trials of many kinds designed to test our faith. Uh, our faith. Uh, test our faith in Christ. Uh, I wonder if he's going to really mention that. Other times God changes me in the circumstance, and that's when I find joy. Because joy is found beneath the circumstances. Joy is... I thought it's found in Christ. Silly me. Only... I think the Bible's about Jesus. Found in those difficult circumstances. It may be chaotic around you and stressful all around you. Your circumstances may not be perfect at all, but you can have joy in the middle of it all. Because, you know, if you put lace on the sails and painted the pirate ship pink, that definitely would help. It would be because the pirate ship is really out of place here, Carrie. Joy is something much deeper than your circumstances. Well, the second thing I see in this passage, I find the treasure of joy buried beneath my questions. When problems come into my life, I start asking questions. And the number one question that I ask is why? Isn't that the question you ask God? When questions come into our so apparently this section of the book of James is designed to help you find four secrets to finding joy buried treasure, and uh, secret number one is to understand that uh, you can't the circumstances are not necessary to change in order for you to experience joy, and that the the buried treasure is beneath your questions. Uh huh. Where does it say that again in James? Oh, nowhere. Life, we say, why God, why have you allowed this? Why did you let this come into my life? Why did you do this, God? And we keep asking why. Uh, I, I have a couple of why questions of my own, Carrie. Why aren't you actually preaching what God's word really says? Why are you turning this into a psychological self-help session rather than actually instructing us in what God's word really teaches? Where did you come up with these secrets, by the way? Why are you teaching these secrets? They're not in the text. But the real treasure is buried deeper than my questions. Questions may be the second layer, but it's like drilling for oil. You have to go through several layers of the earth's crust to get to the real treasure. So you have to keep drilling down. Now, this passage talks about this. Yeah, he needs to paint that pirate ship pink, put lace on the sails, and name it the good ship Lollipop. Yes. It says, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Underline the phrase, testing of your faith. Oh, good. We're going to talk about testing of our faith. Faith in what? Faith in whom? Faith in what? How are you defining faith here? To find the treasure, I have to go through the test. To find joy, my faith has to be tested. And when your faith is tested, you start asking questions. Now, some Christians say you should never question God. I don't agree with that. 
Hey, God's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your doubts. He's not afraid of your anger. He says, as long as you bring it to me. When your faith is tested and you have questions, you have to bring them to God. And after you've poured out all your anger and all your doubts. Notice this is a completely law-based sermon. The things you have to do. Uh. And you've asked the last question and you're worn out. He'll be there to hold you. But then there's a third thing that this passage tells us. You didn't tell us anything about our faith, uh, what faith is, who we have faith in, what he's done. Hello, you ever heard of Jesus? I find the treasure of joy buried beneath my hardships because hardships are those trials that seem to last. Hardships are those trials that are in your life. Well, he is writing with a pink marker. I knew this was girly. Life for several weeks or several months or several years or maybe for a lifetime. And when they're drilling for oil, they have to go through some very difficult layers to get to the treasure. And hardships are the most difficult layer. Trying to get to that treasure of joy. But it says here in this passage, perseverance must finish its work. Some of the greatest treasures are buried the deepest. Some of you need to hear that today. Some of the greatest treasures are buried the deepest. And for some of you, you're on the verge of the greatest treasure of your life. But it's difficult. Isn't Jesus our treasure and our great reward? You're in the middle of a hardship. And it's gone on for a long time. And you're about to give up. And God brought you here today so he could say to you through me, don't give up. What are you talking about? Give up for what? If I just keep digging, I'll find buried treasure. Woohoo! I still have a plan. Don't give up. You're right on the verge of the greatest treasure of your life, but some of the greatest treasures you'll ever find are buried the deepest. And you're... Uh, that's not what the passage says. And what does this have to do about the cost of tea in China? Seriously. What does this have to do with Christian doctrine, what the Bible actually teaches? You're about to experience it. Some of you are on the verge of the greatest treasure of your life. It's just buried deep in your problems and pain. And you're about to find it. And it takes time. It takes this perseverance, this endurance that only God can give us. That's why this fourth principle is so important. I find the treasure of joy buried beneath my perceptions. The secret to finding joy is digging beneath my perception of the problems in my life. Uh, James did not write this to tell us the four secrets to finding joy. At all. That's not why he wrote this. You're not actually telling us anything about the epistle that James wrote. By the way, James wrote against the antinomians, by the way. Uh, those who basically turned uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ into a license. Because my problems aren't my problem. My perception of my problems, that's the problem. Did you get that? Can you repeat it? Your problems are not your problem. It's your perception of your problems that's causing the problem in your life. It says here in this passage, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Underline the phrase, not lacking anything. The main reason we lose our joy is we focus on what we don't have rather than on what we do have. And we say, if I could just have that, I'd be happy. If I could just have that, I'd be happy. But the whole problem is our perception of the problem. We need to get God's perspective. And get a whole new perception. Because we have to drill deep beneath our perceptions. That's the last layer. You know, the first part of this passage says, consider it pure joy. Consider 
That means choose. I have to choose joy. I have to choose to say, God, I know that you know what you're doing in my life, even though I don't know what you're doing. It doesn't make sense to me. My circumstances don't make sense right now. But I know that you love me and I know that you know what you're doing. So I'm going to choose to trust you. I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to choose to change my perception of this problem. But that's hard, isn't it? Because sometimes there are things in our lives that we just don't understand at all. And it's not clear at all. And it doesn't make sense at all at the time. But one day it will come clear. So it's during this time and it takes time to see what God is up to in your life. When you don't know what he's doing and you can't see what he is doing and you don't understand his hand, trust his heart. Because he knows what he's doing. It may take time. It may be five years from now you'll see it clearly. It may be ten years from now you'll see it clearly, his purpose for the pain. Or it may be when you get to heaven. But we know that God has a plan and God has a purpose. Because when the sands of time start falling down, and when the sands of time continue on, they reveal the true treasure. Because once you get below the circumstances, and once you've asked all your questions of God, and once you go through the hardships, if you change your perception and choose joy, ultimately, maybe not today, Maybe not tomorrow, but one day you'll see it clearly. Uh, Change my perception and choose joy. (sighs) And you'll see the treasure that was buried deep. The greatest treasures of your life are buried the deepest. Why aren't you sharing the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Christ crucified for our sins, repentance, forgiveness of sins. You know that stuff? Nick Voices is... This is kind of a fool's gold treasure, if you ask me, that he's talking about. Living proof. Because it's a Christless. It's not a joy based upon the peace we have with God, the salvation we have through what Christ has done for us. It's just some kind of a treasure that we're supposed to find by choosing the right thing in, in, over perceptions and circumstances. and mm. For that, great man of God and just awesome guy. You're going to love getting to know him. Give a warm fellowship of the wounds. Welcome to Nick. Okay, got to be careful here. Don't want to be insensitive. Nick, um, Nick is a gentleman who does not have any arms and legs. Okay, now anybody, anyway, we continue. Have a seat. Thank you so much. Nick, man, we've been having so much fun the last couple of days. I mean, I can't imagine what life is like with you on the road. I mean, your sense of humor is just awesome. It's got to be fun. Hang we have you. fun. We have a lot of fun. You know, like our, our schedule so busy when you're going around Africa and Indonesia and you just need a couple laughs to break it up a little bit. And I tell you, man, I have lots of fun. Obviously, this gentleman is an example of somebody who doesn't look at his circumstances to determine whether or not he's going to be joyful. The question here is, regardless of whatever it is that his circumstances are and how joyful he is, is he going to, in this church, bring us Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins? In my little uh, BMW 7 Series behind me. Or is this just going to be some kind of a self-help motivational pep talk you know, from somebody who obviously has all the reason to be bitter and not have any joy in his life. And uh, we're going to send it to Pimp My Ride, and uh, <laughs> we're going to get some spinning rims on it, and uh, 
get like a subwoofer and just get it bouncing, you know what I mean? Like, I have a whole party in my wheelchair. And uh, it's quite funny when I drive around shopping malls and outside in public places, a lot of people, you know, sort of freak out. And, you know, these little kids, I love running after them. And uh, <laughs> there was this one boy who saw me one day and he goes, What happened? And I went up to him and I go, cigarettes. <laughs> and uh, I love freaking kids out, man. We were in this uh, airplane one day and my friends put me in the overhead compartment. <laughs> A lot more leg room up there, so. No, they shut the door and we waited for somebody to come and put their bag up. This guy came, opened the door, go, boo, you know. I said the rest. I, it's funny, it's entertaining, it's inspirational. Where's Jesus? Streamers are over there. <laughs> the funniest story, though, is I was in a car one day, and when you see me from the outside of the car, you have no idea that I have no arms and no legs. You just see my head. And we're at the traffic lights one day, and this car comes up next to us, and this girl's looking at me. And I'm like, cool, let's have some fun here. So I look at her and I grab the seatbelt in my mouth and I loosen it. And then the car seat, I just did this. He's spinning around doing a 360. Normal people can't do that in a uh, car. She was like... Funny, entertaining, inspirational. Where's Jesus? What about faith? Christ crucified for our sins, you know, that stuff. I've never seen anybody so desperate for a green light in my life. <laughs> you know, that's a couple of funny stories for you. That's but, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> we have a lot of fun. We've been having a blast the last couple of days. But I know, Nick, um, when you were born without limbs, the, there's no medical reason for it. And your parents, I can't imagine what they felt, you know, with kids teasing you and wondering why God did this. Did you ever question God? Definitely, definitely. I went to church every Sunday and went to Sunday school and learned, you know, all the favorite Bible verses like Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Uh, by the way, that's taken out of context. I don't care if this guy doesn't have any arms or legs. That doesn't give him the right to misquote God's word. Go back and read it in context. That's not really for us. Plans to give you hope in the future. And I looked at that thing and I'm like, I, you know, other people could apply that in their life, but I couldn't. I couldn't see that hope and future. I, I, I got so angry at God. I said, God, why'd you make me like this? Why? I mean, you may as well just have created a fish with no tail. I mean, what purpose will I ever fulfill in my life? I can't do this and I can't do that. And people teasing me and putting me down and I just would never have thought that I would become the independent man I am today, traveling around the world and doing what we're doing. So it was very, very hard, very hard. Mm. And the purpose now is starting to come to light. I mean, I can imagine you've gotten two degrees, type what? Oh, we've, we've done a double degree in accounting and financial planning. I've done it, and by the grace of God. And with this foot, I type 43 words a minute on a normal computer. It's pretty cool. It, it's uh, it's a shriveled up kind of foot. It's not. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and what does this have to do with Jesus Christ? 
Well, what was the turning point for you? I mean, questioning God, not knowing the purpose. I mean, what happened to get you to realize that God cared about you, even in these times where you couldn't see it? Right. Um, he died for your sins. Because you, even though you are struggling with all of these difficulties and your circumstances, you are still a sinner in need of a Savior. Let's see if that gets brought up. Right. That is when my life changed. And before I was 15 years old, I realized that as human beings, we want to know two things. In your pain, you want to know that you're loved. And second of all, that everything's going to be okay. Okay, good segue for the gospel. Um, He's talking like a victim rather than an instigator, a perpetrator of sin. Uh, Let's continue. I couldn't see that anything was going to be okay. I never thought I'd get a job. I never thought I'd ever get married. I thought even if I ever did get married, I can't even hold my wife's hand. I won't be able to dance with my bride on our wedding night. When we have children, how am I going to put my arms around my kids when they're crying? And no one had any answers for me, and I wanted to believe that everything's going to be okay. And people used to come up to me and say, Hey, Nick, everything is going to be okay. I used to get him, Everything is going to be okay. I wanted to go up there and headbutt him. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what do you know? You don't know how my pain is. You don't know what's around the corner. How can you tell me that everything's going to be okay? But it was when I read John chapter 9 when I was 15 years old and was convinced that God knows. God knows what he is doing. You see, no one could tell me why I was born this way. And no one could tell the blind man in John chapter 9 why he was born that way either. But Jesus said it was done so that the works of God may be revealed through him. Now, great passage here. John chapter 9, the story of the, uh, the blind man, the man born blind. Great story. You should read it. Now, my question for this gentleman here is he going to tell us about, is he going to reveal the war, the wonders and the glories of God? Jesus Christ shed for him, his sins. Let's continue. And it was done and it was shown. And just this tangible faith and peace of just knowing that someone understands. Yes, God understands. He's been tempted in all ways, like we have, and yet was without sin. It's more than just God understanding. It's that God has done something definitive about the evil in our, in our world. He died on the cross. That God, who is bigger than my circumstance, is letting this happen for a reason. And I came to a point of saying, Lord, I don't understand this purpose. But I trust that you know what you're doing. And that is when that peace of God gives you that strength to get through from day to day. And now, Nick, I mean, the purpose is so clear. Back (laughs) then it wasn't, but it's amazing to see what God's doing through Nick and his ministries. He's going all over the world. Tell us about that. It's powerful. It's it's amazing. I, I could speak for half an hour just about that. God is opening up doors of nations that are very close to the Bible. 
um, and the gospel message. Uh, like this church? Are you going to preach the gospel here, Nick? Africa, India. Purpose-driven churches. Indonesia, just to name it. The seeker-sensitive churches. A few, and uh, it, it's, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, this DVD of my life um, that I have that, that we're... You can go up there and check it out at, in the foyer, but this DVD is being black marketed. It's basically my story of how God's changed my life with the gospel message on it. And in the places where you cannot preach, these black marketed copies are being shown. And I mean, it's just... Nick, what's the gospel message? That God changed your life or that Christ died for your sins? I'm not trying to be insensitive or snarky here. There's really a big difference. In Africa, I was, you know, on TV across East Africa to 50, 60 million people. Who's he preaching about? And, uh, I mean, just the way that people look at disabilities over there is so shocking. We are so ignorant to it. When a baby's born with any birth defect, as, as little as a, a cleft lip, Take it to the extreme. I'm not going to use colorful language, but that's exactly what they do, and it's in their newspapers. And then, basically, it's a shame for the family to have a disabled child, so they abandon it. And then they hear of a guy without arms and legs with a smile, with hope. It doesn't register in their mind, and that's why we bring in these crowds. India. Hope in what? Why are we just assuming the gospel here and not actually talking about it? We're talking around it, but never getting to it. Over five nights, 350,000 people came to hear the gospel message, and we saw... And what's the gospel message? Can we hear it? I mean, there's, I mean, they made a pirate ship for you, and thousands of people are there. Do we get to hear the gospel message? This is a church service, you know. 80,000 make a first decision to have Christ into their life. 80,000 people made a first decision. Well, when I was preparing this message about joy, one of my teenagers walked in and we started talking about joy. And he asked me, he said, Dad, what is joy exactly? I mean, how do you, you know, describe it? How do you get a handle on joy? And I said, well, let's talk about that. And we talked about it a little bit. And then he said, do you think if Nick had the choice today, if God gave him the choice and said, Nick, if you want arms and legs, I'll give it to you. It's up to you. What do you think Nick would say? And then I said, you know, I don't know. It's a great question. I'll ask him. So, Nick, I know you get asked that a lot, but what is your answer to that? You know, I, I want to be completely honest with you. I'm, that's, that's just who I am. I'm real with people. And from the bottom of my heart, I'd say that I'd choose this all over again, ten times over, knowing that one soul through my life would be changed forever and see that you don't have to do this alone. Okay, I'm getting frustrated here because it's like they're, they're using Nick at this point for this point about joy, you know, over circumstances. Obviously, he's the extreme case here. But Nick isn't telling us about the joy that we have in Christ. 
the joy that we have in suffering and persecution. He's just, it's just joy over circumstance, changed life. If you haven't uh, listened to my lecture on three-dimensional theology, I recommend that you go back and listen to that. That was on yesterday's podcast. Big difference here. No forgiveness of sins, no Jesus Christ. He talks about the gospel, but doesn't tell us about, tell us what it is. Hmm. You see, because of my weakness, you see the perfect strength of God, knowing that I couldn't do this on my own. Do what? And when people hear me preach, as much as they want to try resist to the truth, they have no choice but to believe me. What's the truth, Nick? Why? Because my pain is real. But my sin is real. But my victory is real. Uh, the victory that was won for me on the cross is real. It's Christ's victory. And I am a miracle of God. That you cannot argue with. Uh, the big miracle we want to uh, really focus on is Christ's resurrection from the dead, dying and rising for our sin and sins and justification. Did you do that for me, Nick? You cannot argue with my smile. You can't argue with the strength in my eyes. You can't argue with it. And so, if I am that miracle for somebody else. Here I am. Miracle of what? Let's do it. It's a miracle he has a normal life? That's the big thing? Now, I know I sound insensitive to some of you guys. But I, God is not a respecter of persons, and I'm not either. I don't care what circumstances he's been through or what disability he has. If he's not bringing me Christ and him crucified and actually proclaiming Christ and is only proclaiming himself, I don't care. I'm going to point it out. This guy is preaching about himself. I'm not hearing anything about Jesus. Well, let me ask you this. If there's one thing you could tell us about joy and how to experience joy, I mean, what would it be? <sighs> what do you see as... Because, uh... I mean, really, Christianity is all about experiencing joy um, regardless of your circumstances. That's what Christianity is really about. Most people, their greatest barrier to getting joy in their life. You know what? It's, it's about perspective. Do you know what we do as human beings? You know, Kerry Shook is actually holding a Bible in his hand right now while he's doing this interview. It's not being cracked open, and the answer that Nick here is giving us is not in the Bible. We find such peace and, quote, maybe comfort in your pain when you see somebody else going through something different. Like all of a sudden, people come up to me and say, Nick, I'll never complain again in my life. And I'm like, don't worry, tomorrow is Monday morning. You'll be complaining. And so there is no... <laughs> that security or that comfort that you have in your pain by comparing your sufferings to my suffering will only be temporary. What does this have to do with the Bible, Christ, sound doctrine, what the scriptures teach, anything? 
but the comfort you have. I think they made Jesus walk the plank before they launched into the series. Apparently, he's uh, tied up and drowning at the moment. In him. What does that mean? What can you rejoice about today? Well, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know that your sins have been forgiven. Here we go. There's some God. Here comes the gospel nugget. And it's coming quickly. It'll go quickly. And that Jesus has set you free from all fear and all guilt. Now, if that's not something to rejoice about, to know that we're going to be in heaven with him face to face for billions upon billions upon billions of years, no tears of pain. Uh, no mention of uh, really what sins are and anything like that. Uh, th- that was the gospel. By the way, when you preach the gospel without the law, you just turn Jesus into a therapy. That's what you turn him into. No law here. No conviction of sins. No no terror if, uh, regarding your wickedness. No contrition. No sorrow. Just joy and happiness. And see, you can... I mean, that's something to be happy about. No course it is but this is the thing we need to know that God never makes a mistake that if he doesn't change that circumstance then he will use it when you come to a point of zero selfishness And when is that going to be in my life? Have you achieved a point of zero selfishness in your life, Nick? Serious. Have you? And I strive for that. No. I'll never reach that. Right. Therefore, you are a sinner. That's sin. Selfishness is a sin. That's something we need to repent of, right? But that's my goal. Oh. To fully trust in him. Apparently, uh, if you don't, yeah, fully, apparently it's not just enough to trust in him. You got to fully trust in him. That's a different level altogether. To say, Lord, thank you that you know how I feel, but I thank you that you are with me and everything is going to be okay. You know, maybe you're a person today who's tried to get through your life on your own and you know that you're tired you know you're exhausted and even Christian parents come up to me and cry on my shoulder and say Nick I don't know how to pray for my kids anymore if you want God to draw near to you if you want God to draw near to you this is a conditional clause here let's hear what the draw near to him oh okay so if you want god to draw near to you then you have to draw near to him (sighs) law light put your faith in the bible uh my faith's in christ because in the bible is where i find my strength promises that will never fail me his grace is sufficient for you for your family. And what does that mean? What does it mean his grace is sufficient for you? Haven't there's no context for you to make the statement. I have no clue what you're talking about or what you even mean by this sentence. For your job, for all that you need. Is that you won't feel it. You won't see it. Maybe for a while. 
But that's where you walk by faith and not by sight. When things go wrong, it's going to be all right. Hakuna Matata, what a wonderful phrase. It means no worries. It's our problem-free philosophy. Hakuna Matata. It's a cool song. But I want you to know today that you don't have to do this alone. In Jesus' right hand. Okay, that's the... I mean, wow, if it wasn't for Nick there just throwing us that little Jesus crumb and a little bit of God, completely out of context gospel at that, you know, again, another very disappointing uh, sermonar from Carrie Shook there at Fellowship of the Woodlands, a completely castrated sermon, if you can call it that, called Buried Treasure. And yeah, sadly, we're at the end of our program for the day. I want to remind you, I'm not going to be in the studio for Thursday and Friday. I have a short business trip that I'm going to be taking. And also need to remind you that Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio, which means we depend upon you in order to continue to bring you this important radio outreach so that we can continue to compare what people are saying to the Word of God, do these types of sermon reviews to help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, to learn how to listen for the gospel, how to understand law and gospel, and defend the Christian faith against people who are distorting it. That means we depend upon you in order to pay our airtime fees and our salaries. Would you partner with us? You can do so by going to fightingforthefaith.com, clicking on the donate button, or you can go or you can write a check, make it payable to Fighting for the Faith, and send it to post office box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Well, sadly, we are at the end of another program. If you'd like to email me, you can at uh, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Hey, until next time, may uh, God richly bless you. Keep law and gospel separate and listen for Christ. Anyway, we'll see you next week.